Hi everyone, welcome. Uh, this is Sarah Vaughan, uh, hosting for Marie Claire's Start Somewhere. Hope you're all doing well. We've got a great interviewee this week. I'm delighted to uh, welcome the very amazing Michelle Feeney, who is a beauty industry powerhouse and the founder of one of my favorite brands, Floral Street. Welcome, Michelle. How are you? Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm very good, thank you. Very good. So, Michelle, as you know, we start off with, with asking people who come on this podcast how it was that they started out in life. So, love to hear about you know, where you grew up and, and how you caught the beauty bug. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, I grew up in the Midlands. Um, I was born in Birmingham and my mum is Irish. So I had Irish grandparents and, um, and my, my dad um, was born in the Midlands. And we, I grew up in shops, actually. My parents um, ran shops and wow. wine shops. So that was good. Um, and so I, I was lucky enough from a very, very small age to have all this interface with people. And very, very much a part of the um, Irish community in the Midlands at that time. I did Irish dancing and, you know, play the accordion, all these kinds of things. You were an Irish dancer. I'm, I'm an Irish dancer. We'll ask her to show us some moves. <laughs> <laughs> Is there no end to my talents? Anyway, and um, I think it was, if I look back now, really, it was the social piece of that that gave me tremendous um you know, self-belief, actually, I yeah. think. You know, I only grew up in a really strong community and um, lots of fun was had and um, um, we weren't, well, you know, we didn't have very much money or anything, but um, but it was a great, great upbringing, a, a, an urban upbringing, I must say. But every year we would go to visit my great-grandmother in Ireland and she had a very rural um, environment, which was refreshing and growing vegetables and uh, she kept a pig. And I think one of my first memories of, of actual flowers was, was, you know, smelling gardenias in her, in her garden and her house. And um, I can remember it really powerfully. And yeah, I was probably about three or something like that. So um, I, think, I think as you get older, this kicks off various memories. Mm. Um, but anyway, I, I went on um, to go to college. I did think I wanted to be a nurse and I did a pre-nursing course with my A-levels. And then I ended up doing um, quite a modern degree in, um, at Polytechnic at the time um, called Consumer Science, which was food and textile science. Oh, wow. So it hasn't led, you know, it sort of was very different to the path I thought I would take. Yeah. Um, but I moved in with two fashion students. They were oh, my roommates. Oh, oh. And that, that was the beginning of the end. Um, <laughs> you know, they would whiz me up clothing for the weekend and I'd be constantly stepping on pins and things. And um, they moved to London and then they said, oh, look, you should move to London. There's this thing that we think you'd be very, very good at um, called PR. It's a, it's a new thing. And I literally got on a a bus, a coach, and went all the way from Newcastle upon Tyne down to London and met what was to be my first boss, which was a woman called Leslie Goring. And she was fashion show producer and um, fashion PR. And at this party, she said, oh, yes, come and work for me, come and work for me. And I was like, yes, yes, great. But I didn't realise that there would be no pay involved in coming to work for her. <laughs> 
So, um, so I, I, I nevertheless took a chance, moved to London, slept on my friend's floor. And really, I was the junior, um, you know, delivering clothing around to all the magazines and the, and the oh, newspapers nice. at the time. Beautiful. Fleet Street was there. And, and we did fashion shows. And it was just when Fashion Week was beginning. You know, it was literally invented. It was 1983, 84. And, you know, I was taping the bottom of shoes. I was the junior and it gave me this incredible opportunity to watch and learn. I think Mm -hmm. learn how you do want to be and learn how you don't want to be. You know, when you grow up, sort of thing. Um, and, and as you can imagine, the eighties was full of full of oh, color, vigor, amazing. And I think I first encountered real, true beauty as a as a sort of a job or a contribution to art uh, backstage, where there was makeup artists, yeah. and they would come and hang out in our office, and then I'd go on shoots delivering clothes and. Mm-hmm. And then you see how it all sort of comes together. And one of our clients was Trevor Sorby, the hairdresser. Oh, wow. Who was also on the clothes show at that time. It was all very glamorous. Oh, my goodness. But by this time, I am getting paid, I might say. Oh, good. I'm very glad because this, this time, I think you're probably very incredibly fit and haven't had a meal for, for Well, you know, the 80s was a time of parties. There's lots of champagne and canapes, which can be quite quite substantial <laughs> so um anyway i i met trevor and we got on very very well and he asked me to come in-house at trevor sorby at the time he had a product range and boots were approaching him and it was the first time a professional hair care line had gone into boots oh, and, I, and i actually did a presentation it was pre-computer on a on a flip chart, you know. Um, anyway, I, I then just realised how incredible the beauty industry was yeah. in that it encompassed all the things that fashion were, you know, was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it was really creative, yet it was a business, yeah. you know, and it was it could be a proper business. And there was lots of elements to, you know, how you could be involved with that. And I think that was when, and the hair industry, I mean, so, you know, that's another very exciting part of the beauty industry. And I realized not just that it created lots of jobs for creative people and women in particular as well. Let's not forget that. But also it gave women themselves a form of joy, creativity, self-esteem. Yes. You know, and it started, I was raised Catholic in, in, in Birmingham. And I, I don't know, it just started to feel like the fit was right for me. And I was pretty good at what I was doing. And I, I loved understanding. And I loved the entrepreneurship of many people that I was representing or coming across in the industry. Yes. Um, you know, I was, and then I got headhunted by Lynn Franks, who was, yes. you know, very absolutely fabulous. But, you know, I'd had these two incredibly empowering women in my life already of work that just sort of said, come on, let's get on with it. Let's do it. Let's do it differently. Um, and, and both Leslie Goring and Lynn were extremely empowering in that way. It was an industry, you know, 
PR in general that could, um, it was so new and it was branding really, what's labelled as branding now. Um, But it was so new that women could literally go in and make it up. And, And I think, you know, coming out of the 60s and 70s, um, where it was just very standard what you did. This was suddenly a place where we could be equal and uh, and rise to the top, which I, you know, I did quite quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very exciting times, um, those 80s. And then I moved to New York. Wow, just like that. She, she well, acts up. <laughs> well, it, a, a man was involved with that. You know, my, um, I, I met a a man, a boyfriend, and he was in the music industry. And he's like, I've got this album to produce in New York. Do you want to come? And so I did. How bonkers is that? Oh, yeah. Without a plan, of course. Um, You know, I did, I had, um, I wrote, um, I was writing a little bit for the Daily Mail and British Mm -hmm. L because I Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted to change tracks at that point and, and do some writing. Um, but one of the first people I interviewed in New York was Michael Gordon, who owned Bumble and Bumble. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then he said, he called me two days later, well, the next day actually, and said, I know this sounds a bit weird, but I've got a good feeling about you. And, um, would you come and do our marketing and PR? My God, how amazing. Wow. (laughs) So that was the beginning of another chapter of my life, which is, um, you know, I, I ended up developing a whole company in New York from scratch mm-hmm. at 20, what was I then, 28? Wow. We are agency. And I worked with Michael to brand Bumble as it is now. And I said, we've got to do some products. And um, we developed the products with Orlando Peter. And even then, when we launched them in 1993, it was in a recyclable bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, all of whatever I've done in my life, I've taken each learning from each step and taken it on to the next, you know, and carried a little bit of each role or each boss within me in a way or each person that's inspired me, you know. And um, I ended up building this very successful agency. I launched the products when... I was one week away from having my son in 1993 in a a heat wave in New York. And it was very successful. Um, And then I obviously became a young mum at age 30 in New York and then a single mum because that that, that relationship didn't work out. But um, I got headhunted by Estee Lauder companies. I mean, amazing. And, and, And I mean... You know, there you were in New York, presumably also with no family. I mean, you know, I mean that, you know, and, and, and childcare is not the greatest in New York. And then you you also get this extraordinary job, which, of course, you know, from a company which was founded by an amazing woman. Amazing woman. Yeah. Another amazing woman. And then amazing women within that, you know, and I... I was in two minds about taking the role because I'd built this company. And then I thought, well, I'm a single mom. I'm away from home, you know, and wouldn't it be a great experience to be in a corporate? I've never been in a corporation. And if you look at my life, I'd never applied for a job either. It was always, you know, so I was, I was sort of like, 
carried by the universe along, you know. And um, have you ever done an interview? <laughs> no, no, 10, 10 interviews to, where they still order companies. Ten, oh, well, 10. Including Leonard himself. Oh my goodness, wow. If you were in if you were being considered for a senior position, you were you were really vetted. You had to really, really you know, and, and the, the last person that interviewed me was this another amazing, amazing woman called Jeanette Wagner. And she had built Lauder International from scratch, you know. What a powerhouse of a of a of a lady. And I said to her, Miss Wagner, you know, uh, can you answer me a question? Will I, will I need to do any more interviews? She said, why are you asking? I said, I've got no more outfits to wear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. But she said, welcome to Estee Lauder Companies. And I said, well, I haven't said yes yet. And she said, you will, you know. And then I ended up in this office on the 42nd floor of the General Motors building overlooking Manhattan. Amazing. You know, I'm, I'm a 30 two-year-old single mom you know it's like a movie it was it was sort of like (laughs) working girl um and I'm a real upstart too because I'm not I'm not the traditional sort of um corporate person yes um but but Leonard had said to me in the interview we really want you for your entrepreneurial spirit how amazing so there you are you got the job and and what did they what which brands did they they put you on I was on prescriptives and it was the brand at the time, the jewel in the crown, the, the fun, modern brand. Um, and I soon, I, I, oh my God, it was like a huge, you know, I dabbled in products a bit with, with, with Bumble and things. But um, there I was working with Annie Carullo, who was head of product development at the time, you know, um, James Gage was creative director, Jane Huddas, who is now running Estee Order, the whole company pretty much, was head of marketing. And we were this incredible creative group of people that were basically unleashed on, on product and, and promotion and, and marketing. And what, what I realized is it was this creative hub that would then come up with ideas that could be taken to other brands to make lots more money, basically. You know, if if, if prescriptives came up with a finish of an eyeshadow or a lipstick that was really ahead of the game, you know, but then it would be put into a still order to actually blow that idea out of the water. So I started to learn about every element of big brands and and the creme de la creme of product development, um, you know, and where the ideas came from and how they solidified. And, you know, it was a new language and, and I, I did find it quite stressful, um, but I knew I was learning so much. I had to, to sort of stick it out. And at that time, I was the only person with a child on a whole floor of females in the Oh, 40s. my goodness. Wow. Not, not even the only one with a sing- as a single mom, but the only one with a child, you know. And you, you sort of really didn't at that time bring. I mean, America's quite different anyway, but you didn't bring your personal life into the office environment. It was very much you're here to work, you're here to do this, you know. That must have been very tough. 
it was actually some days um, in particular. And also to be so confined at, at the beginning because they hadn't bought any brands at this point. So it was very, very family, fabulous family orientated company. But um, it was it was quite a corporate, quite a quiet environment, you know. And there was me going, you know, we, we shouldn't be doing it this way. And, and we thought about this. Um, but anyway, I, I, they clearly thought I was quite good at what I did. And then um, I got to work on um, the Tommy Hilfiger fragrance launch mm-hmm. and Tommy Girl. Um, again, another eye-opener as to another part of the industry. And then I got handed this pot of cream um, called Creme de la Mer. And, and Laudra had just acquired it. And they said, can you do something with this? Literally. Oh, my God. How amazing. And then you uncovered that story. And, you know, Max Huber, the scientist. And then I started to understand, you know, skin care more and, and the kelp. And, mm-hmm. and it was quite, you know, incredible to, to... I suppose that's where nature started to creep in a little bit for me. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, the creme de la mer, you know, whole premise is is so deeply rooted in the power of the, and the amazing nutrients in nature, and and I, I always think that it, it was kind of ahead of its time in a, in a really weird mm-hmm. way. It, it really exploded that mm-hmm. whole thing about you know marine nutrients, ecology, that you know even you know how how clean our oceans were it, it was really a seminal brand in in so many ways and 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 quite a miracle <laughs> you know? it was and, and yeah he even harvested it at a certain time when the planets were aligned so we you know we were led to believe and the scientists all out in lord r&d just all thought this was so brilliant everybody wanted to work on it you know so we'd had we had clinique in our um in our, um, you know, sister brands, um, which was which was another female invention. You know, a woman came up with that idea as well of Clinique, and that was very regimented and you know clinical. And then you had Creme de la Mer, and um, and I got to work on the development of all the ancillary products for that uh, with a woman called Lynn Gubernick who had developed Origins. Oh, another amazing brand. Oh, I didn't know that. How yeah, that's another, yeah. And, oh, and she, yeah, she was married to Joe Gubinek, who was the head of all of R&D, R&D for, for Laudera in Melville. And that was an incredible experience working with both of them on creating this new brand. Um, and Laudra at the time wanted me to, to be the MD, but I turned it down, which you never do. But I really wasn't ready for the number one job. And I think sometimes in your life, you know, you, you're just not ready for that, that job. And mm-hmm. I felt I had a son if I became a number one. I, I knew how I'd be traveling and working and that wasn't going to, you know, I yes. wouldn't be even to be able to be there for him. Um, and it was already difficult anyway with a corporate job. So um, so that's when I got offered the Mac job. And that's really when everything that I'd been working towards in my life, I suppose, sort of collided. And, um, and seven years of incredible um, working exceptionally hard, but working with brilliant, brilliant people, 
with a brand that had been created by, you know, Frank and Frank that was, oh my goodness, it's a brand for now, you know, all ages, all races, all sexes, you know, a democratic um, price point, um, passing on expertise to the consumer, you know, giving back via the MacAids Fund, you know, and I was like, oh my God, it's heaven. It was heaven. Plus the fact you had, you know, mum and dad, which was the Estee Lauder companies up the road, giving you some money to do this. You know, it was incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the moment your like purpose and passion suddenly goes woof, doesn't it? You know, you, you're suddenly like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Totally. The, the purpose was there, not only creating opportunities for these incredible creative people, you know, makeup artists, to have an, a life and become, you know, fulfilled. Not, you know, makeup artistry before Matt really wasn't there. It was very elite. There was a few makeup mm-hmm. artists in the world. But, but if there wasn't on the shop floor, there wasn't anybody with a tool belt and a brush. You know, mm-hmm. it was really, really, an, you know, an assistant helping you with your makeup. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, there was this opportunity for these creative um, off-the-wall people, really, in lots of ways, to have this career. And it married my fashion. I, I developed all the fashion outreach for MAC behind the scenes and created all that. It involved giving back, which was the MAC AIDS Fund, which yeah. was a that was just incredible. And the one moment that is will be forever in my soul and you know was I I went to the United Nations and literally knocked on the door and said are we allowed to give you money you know from the MacAids Fund and the UNDP said come on in you know a a fantastic African man called Jabril Diallo and um, he said of course you can give us some money (laughs) and he set up this um, AIDS in Africa group that I sat on so, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, an advisory board sort of thing. And I was sitting with musicians and journalists and not everybody spoke the same language. First time I've ever been in a room like that. And we had to come up with a strategy to sort of tell, to raise the awareness about AIDS in Africa, because nobody from America was really giving money to Africa at that time. And um, we had a guy on the board that was, a, um, a New York Times journalist, but had also was living with AIDS and also was part of the movement when the gay community really had to embrace this. And he said, oh, it's breaking the silence. And that's when we said, that's what we've got to do. So, you know, this this mobilization word, word of how you can mobilize a group of people that don't even speak the same language onto one cause was was incredible. Yeah, and extraordinary. And, and and I also think, I mean, for for some of those people kind of who are listening to this, you really at this time the backdrop was that you know being gay, you know, having AIDS mm-hmm. was horrific, wasn't it? I mean, these people. I mean, there was downright persecution going on. I mean, so this was an extremely if you like, brave move, wasn't it, of, of Mac embracing their community 
and, yeah. and, and really doing it. And, and, and it, it was such a kind of seminal moment. You know, it was extraordinary and, I, I, and I'll, never, I'll never forget it. You think it was a long, long time ago, but it wasn't. This was the 90s, you know. Yeah. So, so it's got, but we, um, I'd signed Mary J. Blige to the MacAIDS Fund because the challenge at that time was women of colour and were contracting it more. And I felt we needed a voice to connect with them. So, you know, um, I'd signed her and we ended up in the, the huge room at the UN um, where my boss, John Dempsey, gave over a check for $750,000 to Kofi Annan. Wow. And um, I had Mary J. Blige perform as by Stevie Wonder with a piano, you know. And I mean, I've still got, now I've got the sticking up on the back. Yeah, and it was like, okay, lipstick has done this. You know, one lipstick has done this. And every country I launched Mac after that, I mean, 40, it was about... 40 in total, not visiting all of them, but a lot of them. You know, AIDS was a part of, the AIDS outreach was a part of every launch. And that was because, you know, Leonard Lauder had believed in the brand and believed in that charitable aspect of it. You know, another company could have bought Mac and said, oh, we're not going to bother about the Mac AIDS fund at the time. Yes. Yes. And he, he was, you know, he saw it was the core of the brand it was the reason lots and lots of people worked for the brand and stayed with the brand, you know. And I think it was where sort of everything came together for me as a human, as a professional, you know. And, and, and then I thought, I think that's when I sort of go, okay, this is how you do it. You, you get to be in a position of power, then you use it really wisely and you do good stuff. You know, yeah. um, yes. you know, you, do, you don't just, it's not just a let's make a buck and let's move on, you yeah. know, and, and it was seven years of incredible, incredible journeying, um, probably not seeing my son as much as I should have. Um, you know, he's been in therapy, of course, because of that, but, um, but, you know, I would not, I would not change it for anything really those seven years and I think it set me up now to you know there is another chapter after that but I mean if you skip now to launching Floral Street everything I've done and learned over the last you know 30 odd years is poured into this brand you know and trying to make a change in what I think needs to be changed drastically not slowly in the beauty industry as a small brand you know is not a small feat and I but I I wouldn't have launched a brand had I not thought there was a need to try and make a change you know yeah, and you really have launched this by yourself. I mean, you know, this yes. is your baby, isn't it? <laughs> your other baby. So it's, it's, I mean, you know, which is quite, you know, astonishing and, 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 and brave. And, you know, it is a truly wonderful brand. And what I love about it, Michelle, is that you've thought about everything so carefully. You know, mm -hmm. like the sourcing of your ingredients, the packaging, you know, everything you know, it has really, really been so, so thought through and, and, and you can really feel that about the brand, but it's also accessible as well. And, 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 I, and I really love that. So maybe you could talk a bit about kind of, you know, what your founding principles were of, of, of Floral Street. 
Yeah, I mean, it's. I wanted it to be a modern British brand, really important. And what I'd realised when I moved back from New York and was back in London was the just incredible diversity um, and energy and excitement that London had until now unfortunately we're not out in the streets so much at the moment but um but you know and and i want i thought that was really important to sort of bottle this modernity and this um this way in which you know the british have managed to take from heritage you know across all cultures and mash it up together and make it accessible so i wanted to take that um and i i say we're about bunches of flowers not bouquets because I wanted to simplify and open up the doors to fragrance, you know, not make it all bouquet and very French and very don't come in. We're not going to take, we're going to mystify this whole thing. It was very much about come on in. Let's, let's, let's tell you what you're smelling. Let's help you become a connoisseur of fragrance by, you know, educating you about the ingredients and where they come from. Um, and I really, the one thing, it had to be sustainable, as sustainable as I could make it as an independent yeah. small company, yeah. you know. So we work with Robert A, so we know where the ingredients come from. You know, I didn't know before I embarked on this journey with Floral Street that not all sandalwood, you know, it's over-harvested in other parts of the world. Yes, and, it's it's yeah. terrible. I mean, it, it's endangered and, and, and all sorts of things. I mean, it, it, it's shocking. You know, uh, yeah. And I I thought the food industry, I took a massive look. I took a gap year at 51, actually, after I sold Saint-Tropez. And to take a look at the world, to just breathe, take a look at the world and not be in an industry job so that I could see what was clear. And um, I did that. I literally did that and didn't do anything to do with my industry and watch my kids. you know, because by then I had my daughter um, who had it 41, but, you know, see what they were consuming, what they were seeing, how they were not consuming. Actually, you know, my now 27-year-old, he doesn't like consuming anything, you know, pretty much. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it differently. So, um, you know, that that's what inspired me to look at the ingredients and then I worked with Robert A that opened my eyes to even how things are um, harvested. And again, the food industry was a step ahead always, I think. They've been telling us, you know, helping us be connoisseurs of coffee and where your coffee bean comes from and how it's harvested and who's the farmer. And I thought nobody's doing this in fragrance. And not many people are doing it in beauty either, you know. Um, so I started with Robert A. And they, and then I went with mood boards about these mood muses because I didn't want it to be about selling sex. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't use the word sexy at all in the brand, not because I don't think, you know, you're entitled to feel that way, but I, I just think it's, um, why, you know, we've got much better words to use about fragrance, how it makes you feel, um, what it can do for you. And I, and I think it, the sex word is a sexy word is a bit seventies, and I'd lived through all that, you know. Um, and I, I didn't want my daughter to have to feel pressurized to be sexy every moment with a bit of beauty, you know. Um, so that was important. And we are vegan and cruelty free. And then we got into finding out about packaging and 
you know, the the fact that wood fibres were FSC um, certified. So I've had to learn. I'm learning. I'm still learning. We're about to... We're all still learning. You know, <laughs> and, and, and then I started to get slightly angry that, you know, the industry is so slow to change. Yeah, well, with, with people like you at the helm, they, they are in, indeed, I, f- I feel, listening and, 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 and setting up. And, you know, at this point, you know, because you and I could talk forever. As I know we could, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll carry on having a chat after this. Yeah. But, you know, as you know, you know, there is really this invitation at the end of, of, of the podcast mm-hmm. to you know, share your top tip and, and give an invitation to those people who, who, who are listening about what they can actually do to start somewhere. So I'd love to, you know, invite you to share something with, with our listeners. You know, for most women, I think it's really hard to kind of keep believing in yourself. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I often say, if you look at most women, if you look in the mirror first thing in the morning, you will see what you think you don't like about yourself, not what you like about yourself. You know, it's, you never, you never, you never say to, you know, you never say to yourself. With knowingness at the moment, because I, I, I frequently stand in front of the mirror and go, Oh God! <laughs> but you know, you just, when do you ever say to yourself, "God, you've got a great smile"? You know, I, I mean, literally, we don't do that. And I think, <laughs> if ever, I think, <laughs> I think it starts with self-esteem and believing in yourself, and then the literal thing of starting somewhere. You know, it's just to start to begin. Mm. to find out you don't have to have it all mapped out good good god look at my life I didn't have anything mapped out you know and and um you find people that can help teach you if you're interested in something you know go seek some advice um from somebody you admire on a business level even if they're not in the business you're in but I would just say, just start, just begin. And the one question I always ask myself in every life or business sort of decision is, what's the worst that can happen? And if I can live with the worst that can happen in my imagination or my, you know, I go, I jump. So, you know, you never, for me, I'm never risking all in a way because I've I've gone okay what's the worst that can happen this this company doesn't work and we go and get another job you know and and obviously that's harder the older you get I launched this at age 53 so you know um but I think talk to yourself listen to yourself believe in yourself and and just do it you know I love it. Oh, Michelle, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you're such a trailblazer and such an inspiration. And, and you know, thank you for sharing kind of, you know, your, 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 your sort of life story with us and your, your, the amazing things you've done. I mean, I don't think I'll ever, you know, you, you going to a party and getting your first job off the coach. I mean, just, just extraordinary. But, you know, thank you for having that kind of joie de vivre that you continue to have and for also leading the beauty industry. And, you know, I, I, I think I'd just love to close on the fact, you know, this is why I'm so passionate about the beauty industry, because people like you are in it who are so inclusive, who are so caring, 
and also who have this amazing kind of female style of leadership, you know, and, and, and that's why I think the industry rocks, you know, because there is this inclusiveness, there is this visioning, and there's also a lot of fun to be had. A lot um, of fun. <laughs> and, and also jobs, you know, for women, you know, I mean, the beauty industry employs so many women and, and there are more female entrepreneurs in the beauty industry than I think any other. And it's kind of like, go for it, girls. You know, this, this is absolutely amazing. Follow your dreams. And, and, and Michelle, thank you for everything you've done. It, it's just been such a delight. Oh, thank you so much, Zara. Thank you.